kind of skip around a little bit today. We're going to actually go through chapter 6 through 8. We're going to hit bits and pieces in it. And I'm going to call this picture day because i got a ton of pictures to show you because it all centers around the temple. Uh, and that's what uh, Solomon is starting to build here. Last week we were in the year of 966 B.C. And it's amazing that 3,000 years later when Solomon, you know, he took... You know, 183,000 of his best friends, and they started this seven-year project of building the temple that 3,000 years later, we are still talking about it, and that temple, parts of that temple still stand today. It's really just blows my mind. And what's uh, interesting is that from that time on, the temple and the temple grounds has been a central place of worship. For, for the Jews, and it's really important for the Israel and human history, uh, to the point of where the focus today is still on the 35 acres of the temple grounds from 3,000 years ago. That's amazing to me. I mean, we even saw the Prime Minister of Israel come to America this last week and talk about the, the safety and the continuation of, of the lands of Israel and the people of Israel. You know what I'm saying? It's still a central focus of this world. And, and there's been several temples built uh, on this land, and, and it was destroyed a couple of times in those thousand years. And this is what it, uh, they think it looked like during Jesus' day. And... Uh, you will see over on the left the, the building that kind of goes down the side there. That is the portico. That's where they would sit around and debate uh, different theological positions as they, the, the Jewish rabbis would teach, and that would be the teaching area. And then right next to that, uh, a little to the right of, of that building, is the courtyard and, and so forth. But there's been a lot of history in a thousand years um, between the time it was built and the time that, that Jesus was there. Think about, uh, you know, we're, we're in the year 2014. Think back to the year 1014. How much history has changed in a thousand years? A lot. Very much so. Now think of the time between Jesus and Solomon. About a thousand years there had gone through. And Jesus was actually born about eight miles from this temple. And on the eighth day... They brought Jesus to the temple as, as Jewish custom was to be blessed. Simeon and, and Anna were, were there and they came up to the child and, and, and they said the words, now we can die because we have seen the Son of God. How cool is that? From that time on, Jesus kept coming to the temple. His family would come down and he would come down holidays and, and during big events they would all come to the temple even at 13 years of age. You know the parents uh, kind of lose track of their son and, and, and instead of smoking in the boys room uh, their son is, is out teaching in the temple and he's actually teaching the scholars and the scholars are amazed that this 13 year old has so much wisdom about the word of God and they were amazed at that you know and really impressed at the age of 13. Now he's you know, uh, as, as Jesus, right before his death, he's around 33, they're not so impressed anymore because they disagree with him. Some people are, but most of them are really upset with him. But Jesus spent a lot of time on these temple grounds. He, uh, here, here's the actual temple area, and, and uh, you kind of see the, the building kind of in the back. That was actually the, the holy place in the Holy of Holies was in there, and the little courtyard right in front is, is where a lot of the sacrifices would happen. And um, 
you know, you, you would know that every time that Jesus came to Jerusalem, he was in the temple. The temple was central to Jewish life, and it began with Solomon. He's there, you know, Jesus is there explaining scripture, reading scripture, talking with people, teaching them in a whole new way that they're finally, you know, in a sense their eyes are finally opening up to see what, what the scriptures really are, are teaching about God and how they relate to God. And, and also talking about himself and in the form of parables and other ways. And right before Jesus' execution, I mean, he's really laying out who he is. And he even calls himself the temple. So he used the temple in many ways to demonstrate the principles of what God calls the kingdom of God. So therefore, you know, since Jesus spent so much time at the the temple and so much of the New Testament teaching refers to the temple. I mean, St. Paul talks about it. St. Peter talks about it. And the book of Revelation refers to the temple. Uh, but for now, for, for some reason, believers in America and, and the believers, you know, 2,000 years after the temple was destroyed, we don't really think about the temple that much, do we? I mean, other than it's the place that the Jews and the Muslims are fighting about over there in Jerusalem. I mean, that's what we think of the temple, you know, and that's kind of how we view the temple. And, and rightly so or wrongly so, that's just how it is. They just fight over it. But we need to start understanding something. We are also attached to the temple. And in fact, today, uh, this is what's called the, um, oh, uh, that was the kind of the area that Jesus freaked out and started making tables and whips and all that kind of stuff. I threw that picture in there. But uh, this is the, the, what we call the welling wall or the, or the western wall where Jews have access today to the temple wall. That's what they think is the closest to where, where the Holy of Holies would, was. And, and that's debatable exactly where the the temple was on the mount top but this is where they go and the men stay on one side and there's a a thing uh, there's an area for the for the women uh, just the way they separate uh, uh, their worship but uh, but they would go there and and Jews will go there to pray and and you will see this you know soldiers and rabbis alike together praying for the return of God praying that Israel would be blessed praying that that the temple would come back there that they would have a connection with God again and then many people will stuff this is not gum stuffed in the cracks okay that joke didn't go over too well you know the person told me they go I don't know if this is going to be a good joke or not but I'll say it but these are prayers rolled up and every, everywhere they can reach. And, and, you know, some people are taller than others so they can reach up. I mean, the, the, the grout, in a sense, the rock has, been, has given away because they're stuffing prayers in there. And you can literally email a prayer over and they will, go, they will print it out and go stuff it in the rock. And then every year, well, I say every year, it used to be every year, but so many are coming in. Every so often they, they go through, and these prayers are so precious. They take them all out, and they don't just, oh, throw them away. They go through the ceremony where they burn them down to ashes, and they bury the, I mean, they have this whole thing about the, I mean, these are important prayers that Jews feel to God. A place for them to connect with God. Not just for Jews, to be a Christian and go to that wall. I mean, it's something else to to be there and walk up to that wall and and pray and to visit there. It's a fabulous experience both for the Jew and the Christian. And now Solomon, 3,000 years ago, when the stones are being put into place, he wants to provide a connecting point for the people 
and God. That is so cool. That is so awesome. And 3,000 years later, they're doing this. God has not given up on his people, even though he has adopted more children, us, the Gentiles. He has not given up on the Jews. He will not. So in many ways, Solomon's prayers are still being answered because they're still trying to connect with God, and God wants to connect with him. He's just saying, hey, recognize my son. I want to connect with you. See, see who I am through my son. So we connect with God through Jesus Christ because he said that he was the temple. He said, destroy this temple, and I will build it in three days. And he was talking about himself. He wasn't talking about the temple grounds. They, they got all upset thinking he was talking about the temple grounds when he was talking about the self. Because they didn't understand. They didn't understand at all. They didn't understand about coming to him to connect with God, just like the temple. That they didn't need a, a temple. They didn't need a statue. They didn't need a place. They didn't need a person to go in between them and God himself to connect with him. We can be anywhere and everywhere to connect with God. I see God's beauty everywhere. I tell you, I, I do. I see God's beauty when I'm snorkeling and mine didn't. There we go. Um, when I'm, you know, in the water snorkeling and the fish are just amazing, I, I see God there. I see God when I've gone and, and to see, see a, an eagle come down and grab the fish right in front of you out of the water about 15 foot from you. I see God in that. I see God in a lot of things. I see the majesty of God. And sometimes it's a place we need to, to find a place and go to connect with God. Uh, you know, a place where we can be still and know God. And, and too often I think of the hustle and bustle of this world, we forget about that. We forget about going up to the mountains and spending some time and recognizing God and his creation. We forget about spending time with each other and, and laughing and joking around and, and recognizing God in each other's lives. Because we got things to do. Because our lives are busy. And when our lives aren't busy, what do we want to do? We want to rest. Catch up on a little TV. Take a nap. Whatever we want to do. And as we mature and we start to understand that that God is everywhere, and the temple is now with us through the Holy Spirit. I mean, how cool is that? Part of the temple is with us completely. So it's exciting to talk about what's going on in 966 B.C., and yet the temple grounds are, are still there, and you can go there. You can you know, spend time on the 35 acres and be a part of the world history of 3,000 years. You know, no one's really fighting about the Parthenon, are they? I mean, I've seen Greece, the Parthenon. You know what I'm talking about? No one's really fighting over that, are they? No one's fighting over other world landmarks for the, for the most part, are they? No. They're fighting over the temple grounds. That's what they're fighting over. The temple is not just an old thing that we study and say, how cool is that? It is a part of history today. And you can read all sorts of things in the news today about the temple. Now, the apostle, you know, the apostle Peter went to the temple a lot, and he, he would have heard Jesus teaching in the temple. He would have been there. So later on, when he wrote, and he had a great analogy here, and the apostle Paul, I mean, the apostle Peter wrote that our, that our bodies were the temple of the Lord. And a place where, where God's glory dwells and people can connect with God. That is what defines the temple, St. Peter said. How cool is that? 
That's what defines the temple. St. Paul taught a lot about it and about how we're supposed to take care of the temple, how we're supposed to take care of our bodies, what we consume, what we eat, what we drink, what we decide to maybe give up to get healthier. A good motivation, I think, right? I have to take care of this temple. But there's more than a than a physical part to it there's also a mystical part to the temple and often we ignore that mystical because we think you know anything we start talking about mysticism or our mystical or our spiritual things you know woo, you know out there so we ignore that part but we say lord come and dwell with me as if i was solomon's temple lord let me let me come and and connect with you as if i was solomon's temple like i was a wall or something be a little weird if people were starting to stick, you know, little pieces of paper in your belly button, right? Okay, that one worked. You know, might need to get people to back off a little bit. But, but do you see what I'm saying? To allow people to come to us and pray. Be open to be able to pray like the temple walls. A place where people connect with God. You can be a solid place to pray. And you can always be there for them. See, the Jews have this sense that the, the temple will always be and the temple walls will always be. And in a sense, they're right. It's just right here. It's in us. We are the temple. In that same sense, God wants us to, to take, as, uh, you know, take us as individuals and make us reliable people in the company we work for. That we can be that temple. And the company that, or, or the, the, the family that we live in. Or the school that we go to, that we're the reliable ones, that, you know, the almost, you know, predictable one, the mature one. But not only as individuals, but also as a group. Peter says this, as a group, we are the temple. That God is building you and I, that each one of us is a stone in the temple, and he's putting us in the right place to build his temple. That's a, a, it's like a living temple. That's a really cool, beautiful concept. We all have our place in the temple. Now the problem arises when we go, oh no, I want to be over there in the corner. I want to be on this spot. I want to be on that spot. And God's going, no, no, no. I, I, I built you for this spot over here. Now let me put you right there because you fit perfectly right there. Because then so-and-so fits there and so-and-so fits there. And that, that, that's a good solid wall. Instead of going, but, but I want to be over there. I like, I, like the, I like a view. I'd like to be on the upper part of the wall, not the lower part. Can we get the manager in here? I want to talk to him. If you are a Christian, then you are a stone in the temple. Or you're being prepared for a place in the temple. Being fit together in a holy temple where God's presence can dwell and where people can come and connect with God. That is an awesome concept. So my question is, how are you doing as a temple? Are you fitting together well? Are you getting along well? Are you kind of hampering, <laughs> hampering people? Or even taking a hammer and chisel to people? Oh, well, you don't fit very well there. Let me get a hammer and chisel. Let me do this. No, no, no. That's God's word. That's not our word. You need to see what I'm saying? You know, too often we act like we're still in the quarry and God's like, no, 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 no. I, I've got you at the temple grounds. I'm ready to put you together. I, I'm through hammering. Are we letting the Lord fit things together? Are we going, Lord, I shouldn't look like this. 
Lord, this isn't where I should be. Are we letting the Lord put us into a beautiful structure that withstands the storms? When the wind comes, the rain comes. Because we have the right cornerstone. We have the right foundation to fit in there. And when those storms hit, we're secure. It's a beautiful picture. And if you don't get anything else, if you ignore the rest of what I have to say today, get this. We are stones in the living temple. And we need to allow God to place us where he needs us. And put us together with certain people and so, he, so that other people can, can come and respond to him. Because the scriptures say where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. So two or three start to form the temple. Christian families form a temple. A Christian marriage begins a temple. A good, healthy, small group forms a temple. So you need to ask yourself, how are you doing fitting into the temple? Or are you saying, no, this is as far as I go. You know, I, I'm, I have a good view of the temple being built, so I'll just stay over here. And God's like, well, I need you over here. And we're like, no, 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 this is great. I love this view. We need to be in a place where God can tuck us in the right area. And then people can put prayers into our lives. And we can help them. We can. And so many of us feel inadequate to, to pray for somebody and, or, or to be there for somebody. And we need to stop feeling inadequate. Because we are their connection with God. We're their connection. Well, back to uh, chapter 6, verse 1, it, or, or, or around there. It says, Solomon covered the inside of the temple with pure gold. As we start talking about the temple. And, and, uh, and I'll get to some more pictures here in a second. But... But Solomon starts with what's called Jerusalem stone. And if you go over to Israel today, every building in Jerusalem has to be built with a facade being at least a Jerusalem stone. So, you know, the, all the, the pictures of the kind of the white stone, you know, the old look of your, when you think of classic biblical scene, that's the stone that they use on all their buildings. That's the, the law over there. And, and he starts with the, the stone and then... He covers everything. I mean everything with cedar. That's why you needed all the wood from, you know, Tyre up there, you know, where the, the cedars of Lebanon. You know, we think, oh, they, they just used it for... No, every inch was covered in wood on the inside. And then they covered it with gold. Now, the, the cross, uh, are, are the, the, the wood there represents the cross. The cedar represented what, what, you know, what would happen for, for Christ. He would be nailed to the cross. And everything else is covered with pure gold. And when I say everything, I'm talking about the walls, the ceiling, the floor, covered in pure gold. All the equipment, all the handles, all the ladles, all the spoons, everything that went into the temple area was covered in gold. Everything was pure gold. And in verse 16 of, of chapter 6, we see that they built this 30 by 30 foot room inside the temple. And I kind of got two, oh, there's another eagle picture, sorry. Um, I, got, I got two pictures here, and this is kind of a cut out, a representation of what they thought the temple looked like. The, um, the uh, inside kind of is, is the outer holy place, and then you kind of see in the back there kind of the holy of holies. And here's, a, here's kind of a... a 
bigger picture of that. And inside there is the 30 by 30 foot room, which was covered with 45,000 pounds of gold. A 30 foot by 30 foot room covered with 45,000 pounds of gold. So now you understand why the temple was destroyed twice. They wanted the gold. They heard about the treasure. They had heard the stories over the, the years. You know, it kind of gets lost over time. You know, right? Everybody's all excited. Wow, they used a lot. And then over the eons, you know, over the years, over the hundreds of years, and the stories of, wow, the, 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 the temples, you know, they, I heard the temple's got gold on the inside of it. So that's why it was destroyed. The, you know, the other people wanted the gold. Now contrast 45,000 pounds with this picture. We're not talking about a little spray-on coating. This is the, the Dome of the Rock that's set in the Golden Dome. Any modern picture, you'll see the, the dome up there. And This has got a layer of gold on it, but there's nothing like 45,000 pounds of it. Nothing like that. It's a thin covering. This would be worth today, if you took gold price today, $867,384,000 in a 30 by 30 foot room. We think our homes are expensive. This is just one room. Just one room. Now, as you go through, if you, you go back and read through chapter 7, you know, brought, uh, brought to, in a world, uh, or he brought in a, a world-renowned bronze guy to work on certain things. They had this bronze bowl, this big bronze water bowl that, that had 12,000 gallons of water. I mean, pretty big. Um, try to store that away somewhere. It's called the Sea of Bronze is what it was called. And, and then after that, the, the, then the altar that was sacrificed in the temple grounds there they would have. And that's, you know, when it says the horns of the altar, it would be the corners there. You could always, if you could make it to the horns of the altar, then you would re- at least receive mercy enough to have a trial if something was going on. If you were a male, because women weren't allowed in that area. Sorry, ladies, just the way it was, okay? So there was a lot of all these ins and outs. But this seven-year project costing somewhere between $1.5 billion and, or $1.5 to $2 billion. This was an amazing project. And when you study the scriptures, one of the most important questions you have to ask as you read through any passage in the Bible is one simple question. Why? We like to breeze through when we read because our goal is to get finished with it, Right? Because we've been taught, you know, we've got to do our homework, we've got to get through it, we've got to do this. We gotta, you know, we like to breeze through stuff. But we need to slow down a little bit and ask the question, why? Why did Solomon build such an extravagant and expensive building? And should we do that like Solomon did? Should we build something huge today? Is that what God would want us to do? I certainly, I, you know, in my view, I say I certainly hope not. Not like this. But Solomon was different. He's doing so well at this stage of his life. Uh, one thing we need to understand is it's just how rich Solomon was. And we were, when we get to chapter 10, we'll find out that Solomon is making between 2 and $3 billion a year over his 40-year uh, reigning span when he was a king for 40 years. That's a lot of money. Not to, rem- not to mention uh, all the money that he got from David, you know, his father, when he became king and David passed away. 
So he, I mean, he's doing really well. This is, this is like Trump of back then. You know what I'm saying? He has a lot of money. But, uh, but I also think he's hooking into a spiritual principle here. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, and I'm only going to spend a couple of minutes on it. But in order for this to be a sacrifice for Solomon, it had to be this much. He had to put this much money to the temple for it to be a sacrifice to be worshipped for him. Because it's not really worship if he would have just given like 10,000 pounds of gold. No big deal. I mean, that's just like pittance for him. You see what I'm saying? What we give depends on what we have when it comes to the Lord. David already had a lot, you know, a lot of this ready, but Solomon really took it to the next level. And when we figure out how God has blessed us and turn around and worship God proportionally to how God blesses us, it's like this huge circle that works out really well for God and for us. Now, chances are no one here has a billion dollars worth of gold to give to God. But the point is not the billion dollars. The, por- the point is the proportionality of what he was making and what he's doing. This was a sacrifice for him. Could have done something else with that money. Couldn't we all? We could all do. How many of us need less money? Where's all the hands? Come on. No, we could all use a little bit more, right? And, and no matter where you are, no matter if, if you're on the scale down here or the scale up here, you're always thinking, if I could just get a little bit more, I'll be okay. Okay, so, I mean, it's all kind of, yeah, that's how it works. But he didn't even get a plaque on the inside. This was donated by so-and-so. You know, I grew up where every window in the church and every pew had, you know, everything had a plaque on it. And in some ways that was good, but in other ways it was just like, come on, you know, let's get over ourselves a little bit. You know, there's no plaque. Solomon donated the money for this golden candle holder. You know, he would have called it the temple. Other people came along and said, oh, it's Solomon's temple. But he just called it the temple. And I think this, this is important to us. As God talks to us about the important things, one that is really close to our heart, which is usually our money, because we don't trust other people with it. How many of you like to give your money to other people to take care of, right? You know what I'm saying? We check up on them if they have our money, right? We don't trust people with our money. I mean, that's just, let's just be honest about that. But we have to take it to the Lord and honestly say, Lord, what is my sacrifice? In proportion to what, have you, what you've given me in my life. What do you want me to do with that? How do you want me to do with that? You know, uh, where it's not looked upon as a necessary evil as we give to God. Or as we give to certain organizations. Or as we help each other out. It's not looked upon as, well, I have to do this. Because then... Is that really a thankful gift? Is that really a gift from the heart? Because the Lord loves a cheerful giver, not a reluctant giver, not a giver like, oh, man, I could do so much more with this. You know, I almost get to the point where I'm saying, well, don't even give if that's the case, if that's your attitude. Because the Lord is sitting there going, that's not really great. See, this is a a beautiful context to, to giving, to giving to the Lord out of our abundance and proportional what he's given us. And he does it as worship. He does it as worship, and that's a cool thing. And I think the church is, has failed in, in one thing when it comes to our younger people. Not teaching them about money. Money in life, 
money in church, not teaching them along the way. We just, oh, let's ignore it. You don't need to know what mom makes. You don't need to know what dad makes. Let's just ignore it. And then all of a sudden at 18, we expect them to deal with money the way they, you know, as an adult. And we haven't taught them those things. And I think the church needs to do a better job with that. And we don't like to put on pressure. We don't even pass the offering plate because studies have shown if you give, you give. You know, whether it's a plate going by or a box in the back, you're going to put your money in there if you give. So we just decided, hey, you know, I mean, that takes like four, five, eight, ten minutes to pass that plate. Let's just put the boxes in the back. Many people even mail in the check or, or even give online. But the giving part is between you and God. The amount is between you and God. But if you want to teach a young child about giving, have them fill out the envelope and have them put it in there and talk to them about finance. Let's go on to 1 Kings 8. And yes, I skipped some through there. Go back and read it. It's kind of really cool, but it does get a little tedious on, on, on the temple and certain things. But I feel we can move on. It says here, Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families, to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion, the city of David. All the men of Israel came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival, the month of, uh, yeah, that month, and the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the ark, and they brought the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the uh, sacred furnishings in it. This was a spectacular day for Israel. I mean, it's one of those days where you're sitting going, oh man, I wish I lived back then. This would have been an amazing day. They are establishing the first permanent place of worship for them. They're bringing the tabernacle, and the tabernacle is, is where they'd been worshiping, and it had been moved around for 480 years. No idea what shape it was in. I know they repaired it many times and all that kind of stuff. But they brought it up from Shiloh. And here's a, here's a picture of what they think it looked like. Much like the temple looks like today. You have the Sea of Bronze. You have the altar there, the sacrificing. And you have, there's like 12 bowls that go along. I mean, there's all sorts of little things that go in there. And then you have the holy place and the holy of holies covered up there. But what's interesting about this temple is that God had Moses build this thing. And they moved it around in the wilderness for 40 years. And God's presence went with them. During the day, a cloud would lead them. And at night, a pillar of fire would light up. And everything centered around God being evident with them around this temple. And I think it's important to note that when we are out in the wilderness parts of our lives... When we feel like we've been in the wilderness, maybe for 40 years, maybe not for 40 years. But we need to look for God. Because sometimes I think it's easier to see Him during those times. He is there. He's not asleep. He's not taking a nap. He's not ignoring us. All we have to do, even though the wilderness may be our own fault, all we have to do is look for God because He is there. He is there. Maybe the divorce was was our own fault. Maybe getting fired was our own fault. Maybe whatever situation it was was our own fault. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was the fault of someone else. But God is there. And we think, well, I'm in the wilderness because of the consequences. Maybe. Maybe you need to learn a lesson. Maybe not. But the children were in, were in the wilderness with them. Why? Well, because when they got to the promised land, they chickened out. All the adults said, 
hey, we can't fight those guys. Those guys are too big. And now you have all the children having to suffer through 40 years of the wilderness. You see how our sin is visited down upon our children sometimes. So we have to make good decisions. God disciplined for that. So they went out in the wilderness. And guess who went with them? God did not leave them out there by, uh, by themselves. God was out there with them. He led them through the wilderness. Whether it's a wilderness of, uh, you know, for us, whether it's a wilderness of grief or financial or, or relationships or a wilderness of health, God is there. God is powerful and he is in the wilderness with us and he is there. And when you stop kicking the goads, you know what I'm saying, you stop kicking and you start to understand his presence is there, relax a little bit, then God's presence settles on us. And God can start speaking to you if you allow him because God can meet us anywhere especially since we're the temple right god's presence is with us if we accepted jesus and we rely on him the tabernacle was for connecting you know a connecting point between god and and the people and moses went into the temple and the cloud would come down over the building and everyone would literally stop what they're doing because they saw god's presence go down upon the temple and they would start to worship how cool is that now, five centuries later, five centuries later, Solomon builds the temple, and he brings the ark, and he brings all the stuff, and, and you know, something like this happens. And it, well, chapter eight, verse ten: the group of Israelites have never seen this before, where the presence of God comes down like this. And it says, when the when the priests withdrew to the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform the service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So you could, you could imagine the scene. Here they're, they're kind of used to, uh, okay, God's presence coming down and everybody turns around and worship. But this one was, okay, the priests were inside. You have the, the, whole, you know, the, the one priest that can go in the Holy of Holies once a year. But you have several other priests in there doing other duties. And they all come running out because they can't do anything. They cannot see. Now we understand not being able to see, living out here in Thule Fog, right? I mean, I've been driving back from Texas before I even knew Tulare was a place on the map, and we got stuck in a fog, and I just pulled over the side of the freeway as far as I could get, as far as I could get, and we slept for the night because we couldn't see. And there's, I mean, there's semis flying by 40, 50 miles per hour, and I'm thinking, you cannot see where Andy is right here. How can you be driving that fast, you know? But we understand that. Well, the priests could not see. They all came out of the temple. And in Second Chronicles 5, it says, the priests then withdrew from the holy place. And all the priests who, who were there had uh, consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. All the Levites were there, the musicians, Aesop and, uh, or Asap and, and all the other boys, stood on the east side of the altar dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and, and lairs. And they were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. So in other words, you know, they had it divided up. Some priests come at this time of the year, some priests come at that time of the year. Well, they had just decided, okay, at this dedication, we're all going to be there. So the trumpeters and the singers joined in unison as, as one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. They raised their voices to the Lord and sang, He is good, His love endures forever. Do you recognize the song? We sing that song ever so often, and I would try to sing it to you, but you would all get up and leave. So I'm not going to do that. But you see how they're not saying, Lord, bless us. Lord, I need your blessing. But they're talking about the greatness of God. 
And that's an awesome thing. When we start talking about the greatness of God, instead of, Lord, I have my list here. Can you do this, 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 and this? Instead of saying, God, you are holy. God, you were, you were, you know, uh, your love endures forever. You are so great. You are so awesome. You are so good. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform the service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. And then Solomon prays, and, and look what happens in 2 Chronicles, uh, Chronicles 7, uh, 7.1. Everyone is outside, wondering when they're going to be able to come back in. And it says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple because the, Lord, uh, because, uh, the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they, in, uh, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good, His love endures forever. So everyone stops what they're doing and begins to worship. And you can read all about the sacrifices in 1 Kings 8 all the way to the end of the chapter there. But they, you know, they fell face down on the ground. They didn't run away because they were scared. They recognized it was God. And it happened right there. I mean, if you were there, what would you do? Man, I'd run and grab my child and get out of here. I mean, if, if this building started rocking and rolling and, and fire was coming down, well, I'm going to go get my child. I'm gone. I'm sorry, you know. But there's a difference between that and knowing and knowing that this is God and turning around and worshiping. No, you know, not many of us would stare around to see what else would happen, you know. But they weren't afraid because of the accuracy of what was happening. They could see the offering being burnt. They could see all that coming up with them. I mean, they, they understood what was going on. You know, this is, I think it's, um, is it Corinthians? No, Hebrews 10, 13 or 13, 10 that talks about God being an all-consuming fire. That's exactly what's happening here. They understood the holy fear of God, a good fear, a safe fear, and they worshiped. And they said, he is good. His love endures forever. Now, why are they saying that? Because lightning didn't strike them? I mean, when's the last time we had a party in God's honor? I mean, we love a good party, don't we? We love a good gathering. But when's, when's the last time you said, he is good. His love endures forever. I mean at home. I'm not talking about here when you come and worship and, and sing and, and, and get into the mood. I'm talking about just in general. When's the last time you said, He is good, His, His mercy, His love endures forever? With your family. To thank God that, that His lightning doesn't strike us because of our sin. Because He doesn't see us full of sin. Because when we start to understand and see His power, we start to understand who He is. If it wasn't for God, I would be toast. If it wasn't for his goodness and his love, I wouldn't be allowed to be a stone in the temple. I wouldn't be a piece in the building. I would be thrown into the trash heap. You know, I wish we weren't so demanding. My wife and I, we were talking this last week about Brandon. And, and parents of older kids, let me ask you, do they ever get over the wanting stage? Oh, man. 
I mean, I'm going through this Lego magazine with him. You know, it's the Lego club, the kids club, and they send it to you. And, and he likes looking at it. And he likes to try to build what's on the inside. Really cool. I mean, get some work with his hands, his mind working all that. But he's like, Daddy, Daddy, let's look at the Lego magazine. So I get it out, and I turn the first page, and he's like, I get to the first page, and, and there's like, they have a little comic on the inside. And, and he's not even paying. I'm trying to read it, you know, trying to read it, my child. Be good, you know. He's totally ignoring me. He goes, I want that. And I want that. And I want that. And he did that for a couple of pages. And then he finally got tired of pointing out everything. And then I turned the next page. He goes, I want that. <laughs> Just pointing all over the place. Man. The sad thing about it is he would probably get more if he didn't want so much. You know what I mean? Because he gets to that point where he's sitting there going, well, I want this. And I'm thinking, boy, you already got enough. And I ain't giving you another thing right now because of that attitude. I wonder how many times God has said, Alan, I know you want that. But because of that attitude, you're not getting it right now. Man, we're such a wanting people. If we stop wanting and stop demanding so much and start worshiping, God would probably reward us with even more. I almost relate it back to the child thing for Lisa and us. We were content. And God says, okay, now that you're content, I'm going to do something else for you. Well, Solomon leads them through this process. And he is doing so well right now. Not so much later, but right now he's doing really well. He walked in and the wisdom that God gave him, he actually used that wisdom to change things for good on a daily basis for God. Then he led others toward worship. This is a great role model for us. A model to, to stop making uh, the mistakes that we make in our life. He made personal sacrifice to the Lord. And he finished what he started. He finished what he started. He used what God gave him to bless this world for God. Are we using what God has given us, the abilities that we have, the desires that we have, the mind that we have? Are we using those in our everyday situations for God? Because I tell you, one thing I've learned a long time ago is that when we're working or we're doing something, especially around younger people, they watch us. You know, the kids, when I was teaching junior high, I, you know, you're thinking, I, I got 75, 80 junior hires sitting there, and you're sitting there thinking, they're just totally not paying attention to me. And yes, I taught them the same way I'm teaching you guys, which is really weird, but they can sit through it, they can learn. And how do I know they can learn? It's because several weeks later, I'd be talking to mom, and mom would be spouting the same thing that I taught them when they were in the class. They do learn, they do listen, they do watch. And when you're doing stuff, are you doing it for God or not? In your home, at your job, because people watch and listen. This is a great concept for us to finish what we start. Not just projects, but with life, with marriage. To be the fifth, you know, to get to the 50th wedding anniversary, you know what I'm saying? Or the 25-year wedding anniversary, the 30, the 35, the 40. We need people like that in this world because there's too many people that don't make it to that, right? We need more people like that to finish what we start, to make sacrifices. We need to be an example to this world, to raise children and kids to, that learn to love the Lord. 
everything I know and that I've learned about raising children is this. It's a long-term project. And you don't quite, I mean, yes, I understood that, but you don't quite understand it until you get a child, you know what I'm saying? And the Lord has blessed us with a great kid. He really has. But discipline and love and being a great example to your children is an awesome thing. And yes, we're going to screw that up time and time again. But the question is, do we go back to God? Do we correct that? Do we say, yes, son, yes, daughter, I've made that mistake. Or yes, co-worker, or yes, you know, whatever our job is. Yes, I messed that up and I shouldn't have done it that way and I won't do it again. This is how I'm going to do it from now on. And then actually do it. That's integrity right there. That's integrity of God right there. To finish what we start when it comes to the things of God. And lastly, he worshiped the Lord. Personally and then leading Israel. See, God is pleased with Solomon. Have you ever pleased God? Now, I would say that most of us have pleased God. Some of us don't realize that we've pleased God. But there's times when I'm sure that, I mean, there's times when Brandon does stuff and I'm like, wow, I'm really pleased with him. I'm really glad he does, he did that. Now, do I go running to him every time and say, oh, you're so wonderful, I'm so pleased you did that. No, because I don't want to give him a big head. You know what I'm saying? But God is pleased with Solomon. I think we need to recognize when God approves of our actions. Because we all want approval, don't we? We want approval in our job. We want approval in our home. We want approval from God. God's willing to give that approval to us. And when we change, when we do what's right, the world puts this guilt trip on us like, what are you doing that for? But God loves us so much when we live our lives for Him. God approves of your life changes when you turn toward Him. Feel good about that. Don't fret on that. Feel great about that. We need to stop and, and appreciate life when God, you know, when we're living for God. We need to feel that fatherly approval. Enjoy it. We put enough guilt on ourselves, don't we? <laughs> I mean, we can play guilt trip game where, you know, I can show you my, my guilt trip is bigger than your guilt trip because we all like to, you know, think about all the negatives. But we need to feel good once in a while. We need to feel great once in a while. And we need to say, you know what? God is pleased with me about this. Now, I'm not getting a big head at the same time. You know what I'm saying? But do you ever feel God's approval and love? Why not? I would say start looking for it. If you never feel it, maybe it's because you're not looking for it. You know, we need to stop hiding like a child who's always doing something wrong. You know, you can always tell when Brandon's done something really bad. Not that he does something really bad, but in his mind, it's really bad. Why? He goes and hides. You know the old adage of when it gets really quiet around the house? You know something's wrong? Well, Brandon goes and hides, and you're like, okay, what'd you do? Luckily, it doesn't happen that often so far. But we need to be at the same time, we need to run to God when we do great things. God wants to pick us up and he wants to give us a hug and he wants to tell us how proud he is because he is there. He is there. And I think too often we forget that. We forget that he is there.
Well, let's stand and while the worship team comes and let me bless you guys. And Lord, I pray that as we start to understand the temple, we start to understand we are the temple. We are the new temple. We are the building blocks of this living thing that, that is, is made for you. And you've molded us and you've made us. You, you, you've taken chisel and hammer to us. And we pray that, that while it may hurt some, that we see the great result of that. And we allow people to come to us. We allow people to, to stick prayers in us in a sense, Lord. That if they recognize that we're part of a bigger picture, then we're drawing them to you, Lord. And I pray that we start, as, as children, start to understand when you're, you are pleased with us. And that we run to you, Lord, and we don't go and hide. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you this week. And may you recognize him in your everyday life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.